Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about the Battle of Talas. Some of you may be getting sick of hearing about it by now, but my book, From the Wall to the Water, is out now, available at Amazon and elsewhere. It is a travel log recounting the trip I undertook in 2015 from China to Europe via the places in between, with a heavy emphasis on history. And for today, I thought I'd talk about an episode in history that features in the book a criminally underappreciated turning point in the history of the world that has always fascinated me. Today I thought we'd talk about the Battle of Talas of 751 AD, which took place in what is today Kyrgyzstan, between the forces of Tang Dynasty China and those of the Abbasid Caliphate of the still young Islamic civilization. But let's back up for a moment and set the scene of how we ended up with a fight between Tang China and Islam. Over in China, the Tang Dynasty had ruled by now for some 130 years. The Tang Empire was at the height of its power, perhaps, as we shall see, too much so. Emperor Xuanzong of the Tang sat on the throne, and he'd been sitting there since 712 AD. Although he had begun as a brilliant young ruler, and had presided over a great empire during the first 30 years of his reign, by his advanced years, Xuanzong had lost his touch. At the same time, you have to remember that Tang China substantially expanded into Central Asia. The city of Suyab, in today's Kyrgyzstan, was a Chinese garrison town. None other than China's greatest poet, Li Bai, was born in Suyab before moving back to China proper as a teenager. In parts of Central Asia that it didn't control directly, Tang China held a role as an imperial arbiter, an offshore balancer that didn't directly control affairs, but would, from time to time, intervene in the area to ensure its interests. The Tang had held that role since the days of the great Emperor Taizong in the early 7th century, when the Emperor of China also came to hold the title of Tianke Han, or the Celestial Khan, the Khan of Heaven, meaning the greatest of all the Khans of Asia. So at the time, the Central Asian Khanates would have expected the Chinese, and the Chinese would have expected themselves, to intervene in the area if something should happen. It wasn't so different from the way, rightly or wrongly, 
one would expect the United States to intervene in Latin America if some crisis should unfold, as the U.S. itself said it would do, as a part of the Monroe Doctrine, as it has done in Panama, in Haiti, in Cuba, and so on. On the other side, the side of Islam, it is worth remembering that Islam was only born in the seventh century. In fact, almost coinciding exactly with the rise of the tongue. After rapid expansion across the Middle East in early to mid seventh century, including the dramatic conquest of Persia, the progress of Islam stopped. Roughly, at the banks of the Amu Darya or Oxus River, on the other side of Chinese influence, the Amu Darya. Just to help you understand the geography, today divides Afghanistan from Uzbekistan, and there Islam remained for much of the height of Tang power, held back by that power. By the early eighth century, however, the Umayyad Caliphate began to make forays into the area. In 715 and 717, during Xuanzong's early reign, Chinese forces fought and defeated Umayyad incursions into the area. In 750 A.D., however, a revolution. Took place in the Islamic world. The Abbasids overthrew the Umayyads and established their new caliphate. In 751, then, the Abbasids were flush with the energy of their successful revolution. Indeed, it was essentially in the immediate wake of their success that the Abbasids decided to send another force. Into Central Asia to challenge Chinese power. Back on the Chinese side, we need to talk about the Korean man at the center of the story. Gao Xianzhi was originally from Goguryeo. Apologies to any Korean listeners for my pronunciation. One of the three kingdoms of ancient Korea. Which, at its height, consisted of most of the Korean Peninsula, as well as a large section of what is now Manchuria, China, and even a bit of Mongolia. In 668, however, Goguryeo was destroyed by an alliance of Tang China and the Kingdom of Silla, one of the other Korean kingdoms. At this time, Gao Xianzhi's father, Gao Shuqi, moved into China proper and joined the Tang military. Gao Xianzhi followed in his father's footsteps into the Tang army. At only twenty years old, Gao Xianzhi earned the rank of a general. Okay, the lowest rank of a general officer. So I guess today's equivalent of a brigadier. In the late 730s or early 740s, Gao Xianzhi was posted to the four towns of Anxi, 
and Xi meaning to pacify the West. These were a series of towns in today's Xinjiang that served as the Tang Empire's local base for projecting power into Central Asia. Think Ramstein Air Base for the United States. In 747 AD, Gao Xianzhi led Tang forces to a great victory over the forces of Tibet. At this time, a powerful kingdom in its own right, and a frequent adversary of China. The victory was notable because Gao Xianzhi fought high up in the Pamir Plateau, which ranges from 4,000 to 7,700 meters above sea levels. The British archaeologist and adventurer Oral Stein compared Gao Xianzhi to the Famous generals in European history who crossed the Alps, men like Hannibal. Stein further noted that at the time, Gao Xianzhi came to be known in Arabic as Sahib Jibal Asin, the Mountain Lord of China. Had Gao Xianzhi's career ended right here and right then, he would have gone down in Chinese history. Unambiguously, as a heroic figure. Alas, such was not his fate. In 750 AD, Gao Xianzhi led a campaign against the Kingdom of Tash, which today is Tashkent, the capital of modern Uzbekistan. Why exactly he did so is a bit of a mystery. Chinese sources tell us that he campaigned against Tash under the pretext that Tash had somehow insulted the majesty of the Tang. But that doesn't answer the question of why he, or the Tang court, wanted a pretext. Chinese forces further report great atrocities on the part of Gao Xianzhi, alleging massacres of Tash. Civilians. Gao Xianzhi was successful against Tash, and took its king prisoner and brought him back to the Chinese capital, Chang'an, modern-day Xi'an, where he was executed. The atrocities and the execution of the Tash king touched off a wave of anti-Chinese discontent among the Khans of Central Asia. Meanwhile, the prince of Tash managed to escape, and he went to the Arabs for help, setting the stage for Chinese-Arab confrontation. Arab sources tell us something different, however. First of all, they do not allege atrocities by Gao Xianzhi. The complete history. By Ibn al-Atir, explains that the Chinese attacked Tash at the request of their ally, King Shishpir of Fergana. Ibn al-Atir goes on to say that the king of Tash, in turn, surrendered to the Chinese, and he and his people were not harmed. The Fergana Valley, 
incidentally, remains a place name in today's Kyrgyzstan. And reasons for hostility between Fergana and Tash remain murky. But Tash, meanwhile, had entered into an alliance with the Abbasid Caliphate. The picture painted by the Arab sources, then, is one of a classic imperial confrontation. Two empires, Tang China and the Abbasid Caliphate, each looking to shore up its regional client at the expense of the other empire and its client, leading to escalation that ultimately drew in the empires, resulting in a direct war between them. The history books leave us with preciously few details about the actual Battle of Talas itself. But events transpired somewhat as follows. Having presented the king of Tash in Chang'an, Gao Xinzhi returned to Central Asia with a Tang army sometime in 751 AD, perhaps arriving in June. Gao Xinzhi aimed to march against the Abbasid Caliphate itself to teach the Muslims a lesson. As it happened, he didn't need to go that far, because the Abbasids, of course, had sent their own forces to come and meet him. The two sides, the Chinese and their Central Asian allies, and the Abbasids and their Central Asian allies, encountered each other in Talas, or Taraz, in today's Kyrgyzstan, near Kazakhstan. The Chinese side consisted of some 30,000 troops, perhaps, two-thirds of them being actual Tang Chinese forces, the rest being allies. The battle unfolded over five days. The Chinese, with their well-trained infantry, initially had the upper hand. But then, some of their Turkic allies switched sides. Now, the Abbasids had the upper hand. In a moment of confusion for the Chinese, the Abbasids launched a counterattack with their cavalry. Gao Xianzhi and his men were unable to hold them back, finally concluding that the battle had been lost. Gao Xianzhi fled the field, retreating with several thousand of his troops. The rest, though, were either killed or captured by the Abbasids. So the Chinese lost this one. But like I said at the beginning. This turned out not to be just another battle, just another hostile encounter at the distant edges of empire. This turned out to be a key turning point in world history. Within China itself, defeat at Talas turned out to be the pinprick that popped the balloon. The Tang Empire had already overextended like I said, and the Shenzong Emperor, in his later years, had begun to neglect his duties so that all manners of problems had begun to fester. And four short years after the Battle of Talas, the Anshi Rebellion began. 
we already did an episode on that. But just to remind you, the Anshu Rebellion, which would last over seven years, ended up very nearly destroying the Tang Dynasty and drastically weakening it for its remaining years. It might have killed up to two-thirds of the population of China. Globally, the Battle of Talaz was even more significant. Among the Chinese soldiers taken captive were a number of former paper mill workers. Since the Chinese invented paper back in the Han Dynasty several centuries earlier, paper making had always been a proprietary Chinese technology. It was only because of the Battle of Talas that papermaking entered the Islamic world and subsequently Europe, making possible Gutenberg and the Renaissance and modernity itself. Okay, alright. I guess full disclosure requires me to acknowledge here that some scholars have challenged this narrative and argued that paper technology actually escaped Chinese control earlier than that. But, hey, why ruin a good story? The story of the Battle of Talas. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.